All right, so this morning we're going to do part two of part one. Part two of part one. Were you going to say something? Yeah, you had your hand up like, hey, do you need a snack? <laughs> Roger that. I read you loud and clear, Mohawk 5. All right, okay, so part two, part one. Do you guys remember anything we went over last week? Fear is a liar. Wow, it's like we just heard that somehow. Right on, right on. Fear is a liar. It is so crazy, you know, and I tried to use some analogies and things from my past and uh, uh, how you, you, you know, like that, that fear of failure is like a universal lie that the enemy uses. And it, it stops us from our forward momentum. It, it, it keeps us trapped in a small, shallow life because we don't want to fail. Yet, yet that's how we learn. I mean, if you think, of, like, I think about my granddaughter and she started to walk if she kept falling down and then just got up one day and said, no, nah, that's it. You know, I'm, not, I'm sick of failing at this walking deal. And now we have to carry her, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's just the reality of life is that we're going to fail. We're going to fail, and it doesn't validate who you are. And uh, uh, it was interesting. I was, had just left a, a job site last week, and I was driving along, and I got this call from this guy's name is Clint, and he's an elder at a church down in Mesa. <clears throat> and he calls me, and they have a, a car show coming up. And he's like, hey, how's that truck coming? And I said, ooh, man. I said, I'm really trying to get things the rear end's all welded in. I got to do the front. He's like, well, you got to get it done by April. And uh, I said, right on. He goes, you tell your wife it's got to be done. And I said, oh, I will. And uh, he goes, we have a speaker. He says, we're going to have this car show. And uh, um, we're going to have all these, it's like all these Christians. And he says, and then all the Christians that have friends are going to bring all these cars. He says, we're going to have this dynamic speaker there. And it's got an unbelievable topic. And he was going on and on. I'm like, and it was so funny because I just said, are you getting like Tim Tebow? And uh, he's like, no, no, it's you. And, uh, I, and I mean, I'm telling you, it must be like in nanoseconds. Is there a nanosecond? Or, or is, is the nano like part of a second? My gut like did a flip. My chest got tight. And I think I was in my truck going, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and all, all those that whole, like we talked about last week, all those things that popped in my, well, who am I to talk to these guys? What can I possibly tell them? What, you know, what's the top, you know, just all, that whole thing. And then uh, um, I remember, you know, because this is the deal. It's just what uh, Peter said. He's like, be, be on alert, man. You know, the enemy, you know, be of sober, mi sober mind, meaning not, you know, drunk sober, but of sober mind that the enemy is always looking to devour, and so I, I can remember, you know, kind of like automatically, well, when is this? Because in the back of my head, I'm thinking, because I'm going to be getting a pedicure that day, or my, got a real nasty hammer toe that needs to get worked on, or, uh, you know, but then I, then I start speaking truth to myself, and I start thinking, you know, the funny thing, I thought, well, man, I love cars, you know, I, I just do, I love all the cars. And, uh, and these are all like guys, right? I mean, guys in cars. And I'm like, it's not like we're going to all be staring at each other going, so these cars are great. You know what I'm saying? It's like cars, guys, and testosterone, right? A nice mixture. 
And, uh, um, but I had to walk myself through it. I had to speak truth. And uh, um, today, as we jump into this, I just want to do a, uh, a, just a quick review. James, I can never remember how to run this dang thing. Okay, let's try on switch and arrows. All right, so here's a test. Here's a test from last week. And as many of you guys know, I was an Ivy League professor at one time. Not. Uh, who came in grace and truth? There's, yeah, I was going to say the name's right down there. Who ca- Jesus came in grace and truth, right? So uh, we grab hold of that grace and truth. And all this stuff we're going to go through just real quickly is the foundation, right? Where the word says that Jesus is the cornerstone. This is what we build on. This is where our mind has to go when the enemy attacks. Jesus said the enemy comes to still kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And what was Jesus referring to when he's talking about abundance? Money, cars? Guns. Gosh, man, this, I like Jesus now, right? Right, fruits of the Spirit. Who said fruits of the Spirit? Right on, Melissa, a student right there, sitting in the front. Fruits of the Spirit. What? What? <laughs> I should have known right on. It's like a guy to tell his wife the, the trick. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've told Annie some epic things when the pastor's asking questions. She's like, you tell him. I'm not telling him. Like, Man, you'd, look, you'd be like a superstar in the audience. Thanks, Greg. Well done. Uh, abundant, yeah, so the abundance is the fruits of the Spirit. It's, it's how we live in peace and joy and kindness, just the fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that as we get into this a little bit. Uh, who did, who did uh, Jesus say was a murderer, a liar, and when he spoke, his language was lies? Right. So, and that's our enemy. And, you know, I think a while back I did a thing on understanding the enemy and where the, where's our battlefield at? It's in your mind, right? I mean, right when that guy said, was really just asking me, you know, hey, you want to come do the speaking thing? I should have been all like, oh, heck yeah, I do. You know, that's an opportunity, right? An opportunity to not only uh, speak to Christian men, but to speak to, they're going to bring all their buddies that love cars, you know? And as, as Pastor Rich said, hey, us four guys, man, we're celebrating this morning the redemption uh, that we have in Christ. What a difference in their life, right? What, I mean, each story, you could go to everyone's story in here, and what a, what a change in life when Jesus Christ is your Savior. Uh, Jesus said, oh, I thought we already said that one, right? Ooh, it's crazy, because it's like repetition builds strength, right? If you're in the gym and you're hitting the stack of pig iron, guess what happens? You get stronger and stronger. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Am I correct? Can I get an amen, Leo? Let's go, church. <laughs> All right. Okay. We, I think we looked at this last week, didn't we? Didn't I read this to you guys last week? Why are we looking at it again? Fear of failure has many people in neutral or paralyzed or playing the game of cover-up. We consciously or subconsciously ignore our sins and failures because to admit them is to admit failure and that's a plague worse than death. And, and I told you that process is when you, 
fear failure, then you don't want to take responsibility for your failures. You don't look at them as, okay, I obviously I didn't know how to do that, so I'll do it again like, uh, was it Thomas Edison was the light bulb guy? And I'm sure you've heard that. They're like, hey, you know, was it hard? Or how did you learn how to uh, make the light bulb? And he said, well, I learned 10,000 different ways how not to make a light bulb, right? I mean, like, what a healthy way to look at failure. You know, all the ways that I didn't, that I didn't create the light bulb. And, uh, and, and the, the, the taking responsibility, that's a tough one, right? Because instead of going, yeah, yeah, I did fail, uh, you're in your mind and in your heart and how the enemy has had you tied into a lie, you believe that the responsibility means that you're a failure. Remember that story I told you about the guy where they literally had him on video breaking, and they're like, dude, this is you, you broke the machine. He's looking at it, no. Nah. They're like, that's your stupid Mets hat. That's, that's you, you broke the machine. You know, and he's like, mm, not me, you know, in a shop of like five guys, okay? It keeps us trapped, keeps us, keeps us living a small, insignificant life. People often refuse to tackle a job or, t or take on a responsibility of fear of failure. This, and I don't know if we talked about this, and you can ask Annie, how many vehicles have I bought that were like uh, in different states of array that I had these just big plans for that nothing ever happened to them. I mean, do you have a number? So many, so many right? So many. I, I wanted to do these great things with these vehicles, but, but when I got them and I started thinking about what I was going to do, that fear just started to encompass me like, dude, you can't do this. <laughs> really? You're, you know what I'm saying? You don't have the skill. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the brain. It stopped me from ever doing anything with it. In fact, at one point, Annie's like, hey, let's just not, for you, shouldn't buy a project car, right? You know what I'm saying? Just buy something together that's running, and then you can do the paint job, which it made sense to me because I didn't understand deeper inside of me that the enemy had, had me locked into a lie that I was a failure. They think failure means you are a bad person, and you are a failure, but as previously mentioned, most of the great leaders in script, Scripture at some time in their careers experienced some sort of failure. And we talked about this last week. I am telling you what, if you, if you just read this, just pop this thing open and go, hmm, I'm going to see if Ned was right on that because a lot of these guys were right on. They were locked with the Jesus, and they were, if you start reading the different People and everyone, you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. The different ways they failed, but then they were redeemed, came back, and now now they're in our our scripture. All right, uh, the enemy's objective. The enemy's objective is to convince us to live small lives by imprisoning us within our own fear. It's like we're locked into our own fear, and he uses fear. And we talked about. Uh, the abundance that Jesus was saying that to, to live in the abundance of the fruits of the Spirit. And I feel like the enemy, just like when, when that guy said, oh, you're going to be the speaker, there was, I, I call it the exchange program, right? You have the fruits of the Spirit, and all of a sudden the enemy goes, whoa, whoa, hold on, I'll exchange fear for your peace or for your, for your joy or for your happiness, your kindness. It's an, it's, it's an exchange program that, that goes from I mean, I was just left the job. I was feeling real secure and happy about life, and I get this call, and the next thing I know, I'm, I'm like insecure and full of fear about talking to guys about cars, right? Doesn't that sound like 
Really? Come on. That's like, well, you're going to talk to a group of Marines about uh, rifles or Claymore mines or, and I'm sitting there sucking my thumb going, oh, I can't do that. Right? It just seems nutty, but that's how the enemy pulls us away from God's truth. So uh, I think we might have started in here last week. Did we start talking about uh, Peter last week? I couldn't remember where we left off. This is uh, when uh, uh, Jesus was headed to the cross. In, uh, um, or I'll just read it to you. Um, and Luke here says, uh, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day, will not crow this uh, day until you deny me, deny as you were, until you deny three times that you know me. And so, uh, you know, you can just, you look at that moment and you see that, that as the scene unfolds. And Peter, you know, he was the rock. He was the loud one. He was the guy, you know, he was a crusty old fisherman. Have you guys, do you guys know any crusty old fishermen? You know, they're gnarly. They got big old knuckles and tough hands and leathery faces. And, uh, you know, he's also the guy that jumped up and, and uh, cut the, uh, oh, I can't remember what guy it was, but cut some guy's ear off right in the midst of, of the betrayal. And uh, he's like, no way, man. I got your back, Jesus. There ain't nobody. And you got to think about it. He's also been, he's the same guy that Jesus was walking on water. And he stood up and said, Lord, I want to walk on water. And he said, come to me. So, you know, he's experienced all these, these uh, supernatural deals with Jesus. And so he feels pretty confident that he's going to be right in the mix helping Jesus fight this thing out. And then, as you guys know, the story unfolds. And and Peter's uh, sitting there, and some guy looks at him and says, Hey, man, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And uh, he's like, Ah, it's crazy talk. You know, and he kind of re- re- rebukes the guy. And then uh, it's like t- two more times until like the third time, he- he's in a full out uh, cussing like a sailor deal to just show these people that he has nothing to do with Jesus. No offense to cussing like a sailor, it's just a great analogy. Uh, <laughs> Um, and so, and so at that point, you know, if you read the scripture, he realizes when he hears that, that rooster crow that he had failed and and to go from that moment of, you know, epic, Hey man, there is nobody that is going to take you down. Jesus, I got your back, pulls his sword out in the midst of that whole deal that unfolded, probably did one of those crazy sword things. And then what? Really, he was probably wanting to put it right in the middle of the guy's head, but the guy probably moved. And then to be unfolded like that and sift by the enemy. And then uh, this is what's, this is the awesome part of being a follower of Christ. So it says that basically Peter uh, and the guys, uh, they just kind of fall back, fall away. And they're like, what are we going to do? And I can't, I don't know where they were. I can't remember, but... Uh, you know, Peter's like, hey, let's, let's go fishing. Let's just go, let's just go do what we know. Let's just go back to fishing. And, uh, you know, do you guys remember when Jesus first ran into Peter, how well he did with his fishing? <laughs> Nothing, right? So, uh, and it's in, in John, uh, Jesus shows up. And, and these, it's Peter and I think uh, John, a couple of the other guys are out there fishing. 
And uh, Jesus shows up and he's like, friend, do you, you know, do you have any fish? And uh, it's like the same scene. No, no, there's nothing out here. And uh, Jesus says, hey, throw your nets over on this side. And, uh, you know, that's where the fish are. And so they throw their nets over. And, of course, when they start pulling the fish up, you know, it's just like verbatim what happened at, at the beginning of Peter's, Peter's uh, life with Jesus. They start pulling the fish up. And, and, it's, and in the scene, if you read it, Peter looks and he sees, he sees the net. Instantly he knows that that's Jesus. In fact, it says, I think, basically, he sees the fish. He turns, takes off running. You can see him like, you know, and he's wearing like maybe one of those uh, pajama bottoms or whatever they were back then. And he like grabs his tonic wraps it around him and just dives in the water and rolls to the shore and sits down with Jesus. And then they, they sit and they have breakfast. And, and that scene that unfolds when Jesus says to Peter, you know, Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter's like, oh, Lord, you know I love you. And he's like, tend my sheep. He's like, Peter, do you love me? He's like, oh, Lord, you know I love you. You know, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And then he just like breaks down and cries. And he's like, Lord, no, I love you. And he says, tend my sheep. And that's to me is the is like the epic story of redemption in the Bible. It is to me uh, what it's like when the enemy keeps robbing from us, stealing from us, stealing our peace and our joy and our hope and keeping us from living large lives. And when I say large lives, I don't mean like you know, like you're a superstar baseball player. I'm just mean large in, in, in the fruits of the Spirit, being able to do things in life and, uh, um, and, and do them and enjoy them. That's the abundance, to enjoy life, not to be trapped in fear, you know, not to be trapped in lies of our past, the, the baggage that we carry with us forward in life. And, uh, um, and, and in that scene, you know, Peter's re- restored. And then even if you look later on in Peter, Peter's life, I think Paul had to throw a smack down on him, you know, for, you know, because he got a little squirrely, you know, but he got right back on course. And I'm like, wow, what a great picture of, of our life. You know, what is it? First John 1, 9, what's it say? Somebody just shout it out. Just to forgive us. Wow, you don't have to live in the mire, do you? But see, the enemy doesn't want that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And I feel like, you know how sometimes you want to read the Bible for a formula, right? It's, you look, you're looking for some formula to get closer to God. or to, and, uh, um, and I look at that and I think, wow, uh, in First Thessalonians, he says, Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus because that's the abundance. When you can give thanks in everything, then guess what? You start to see the opportunities in life, right? Even when you're, even when you're in the valley and you can give thanks, then you, beget, you, you become, uh, the valley becomes transparent and you begin to see what God's doing in your life as opposed to, I guess it would be opposed to the victim. You know, why me? Why can't it? Why can't The other day, uh, Brianna and I were driving along, and we had just been at a doctor's appointment, right? Because she was getting her gallbladder out, and we're, we're sitting there, and this guy comes walking 
he was walking by. He was a quite a quite a large guy, and he had a delicious, delicious churro in his hand, right? And he was like, now, now, now. I mean, he's just mowing it down. And Nina's like, what the heck? She's like, why can't his gallbladder be bad? You know? Why is my? I eat good. I eat, I take care of myself. That churro eating toad. Why can't you know? And, uh, well, that's what you were inferring. And I was like, amen, I know, I hear you. You know, but that's, that, is, that is our life. The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous, right? You, you know, and, and these opportunities that, that, that unfold in front of us, if we can give thanks in those situations, that's... That's the formula. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you can give thanks to the Lord in all these different situations that unfold, then you can see the opportunities. You can take advantage of the opportunities. That keeps you from living the small life. It's funny, there was a guy uh, that used to work in our office, and uh, um, he, I don't care what you were working on or what idea you had going on, but if you, if you brought that idea to him, he would tell you like 10 different ways why it was going to fail. I mean, it, I mean, no matter what, he would tell you every way it was going to fail. He, I mean, it could be a superstar idea, and you'd say, hey, check this out. And he'd be like, not going to work. It's going to fail. That's the worst idea I've ever seen. This is why it's going to fail. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to tell him anything, right? He retired, so I don't have to bring that stuff before him. A pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. All right, have you guys ever heard of Paul Harvey? I'm going to try to pull off a Paul Harvey here, okay? His father was British and his mother was American. He was captured by the Boers in Africa and later escaped their prison camp by scaling a wall. He became the Secretary of Navy in World War I. He planned a daring attack on the Ottoman Empire, which is Turkey, that ended in failure. His plan was responsible for 250,000 casualties, 250,000 calories, he'd be a little swole, Uh, three warships sunk and three damaged, according, and and, and here's the thing when you go to this this epic plan he had, uh, not only did it... uh, um, you know, you, you think about a warship, how, how, how much does a warship cost, right? Three sunk with, you know, all the sailors on them, and then 250,000 cal- ca- calories, casualties. And the thing is, is, is these were, uh, and I'll give you some clues here, this is at Gallipoli, and it was Australian and New Zealand troops, and, and there's some other troops, but they were the majority that uh, um, were lost there. And after that was over, or prior to this, he had talked to a retired admiral and said, hey, check out this great plan I had. He was a young guy then. And he unfolds the plan, and the admiral's like, ooh, man, this is a sketchy deal, and uh, was laying wisdom on him. And he was like, ooh, I like the way you're talking. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. So he didn't even uh, um, accept uh, constructive criticism from uh, somebody who had some knowledge. And then this, you know, I was reading this, his wife literally said, this almost completely destroyed him. You know, he like laid in his bed, cried and sucked his thumb. And do you guys know who this is yet, anyone? I'm full Paul Harvey right now. 
This, this next part you might think about, you might, oh, why did this thing? What did I throw them? Oh my. Yes, I feel so much joy right now. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Uh, that's Winston Churchill. You know, he was probably, if you look at World War II, he was an instrumental leader of Britain. I mean, he was big in keeping them uh, rallied and keeping them excited for the, the fight that was against them. Or, you know, that, you know, you had those buzz bombs coming over from Germany. And, you know, you look at his speeches and the stuff that, that he did. I'm, it was huge. And then, but you look back and, and you look at this moment in his life that really... Really, you know, because when I think of failure, like, uh, oh, I, uh, I've got the wrong size wheel for my truck. You know, that was my big failure yesterday, right? This guy was responsible for 250,000 men losing their lives. You know, three warships sunk, three damaged. I mean, how do, you, how do you come back from that, right? You know, and I don't know his relationship with God, but, man, I can't. Some of the, the things that you read and see, it's unbelievable that they can come back from. All right, fear of failure. We're closing into the finish line here. A study of Bible characters reveals that, the most, that most of those who made history were men who failed at some point, and some of them drastically, but who refused to continue lying in the dust. Their very failure and repentance secured for them a more ample conception of the grace of God. They learned to know him as the God of the second chance to his children who have failed him and a third chance too. And I mean, you, just like I told you earlier, you, I'll, just, I'll give you a quick list. Adam, Eve, Cain, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Reuben, Moses, Aaron, Solomon, uh, Samson, Eli, Saul, David, Solomon. I mean, you can just keep going on and on and on. And that's what's so sweet about our word is that God gives us these awesome examples of people that went before us, that loved him, that failed. Fear of failure makes the first step feel overwhelming, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, it's like you're at that cliff right there. And that's where last week I think we talked about, uh, I can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And I'm like, that's a solid scripture, but sometimes we turn it into like an incantation, like that means we can't fail. It's like, no, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, including failing. You, you know, and, and that is the abundance is that you can fail in the midst of that and go, okay, Lord, what did I learn from this? Right? All right, our last, almost last. I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. That's a, a, um, a quote from Michael Jordan, and I had thought it was interesting. Um, I had read that supposedly he was cut from his, his varsity team. Have you guys read that? Or, and I thought, oh, come on, there's no way. So I went and I read the, the story on it, and he was uh, trying out uh, for the varsity. I think he was a sophomore and uh, um, or junior I can't remember but anyway he it wasn't good enough they cut him and uh, in the story he says I ran home ran up into my room locked the door and cried like a baby just sat there and cried <laughs> snot and everything the whole 
hardcore. And then, uh, um, then he uh, went back to working out and practicing basketball. And he said every time that, you know, like he was shooting the basketball or every time he decided, okay, I've done enough, I, this is enough training, all of a sudden he closed his eyes and he would envision that uh, the little cut sheet on the PE locker room with his name there. And that was his fuel to keep going. That's how he stayed in the fight. And for us as Christians, you, you know, I mean, we got so many epic stories that we can look at and go, wow, you know, uh, failure doesn't, failure doesn't tell me who I am, tells me what I don't know, right? Proverbs 24, 6, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. And that's a beautiful picture of all the men and women that have gone before us that have fallen and gotten back up, redeemed by God's grace and His love and how He pursues us. Conclusion. Part two of part one is concluding, David. I know you had that look in your eye. Really, is this going to be part three? <laughs> Jesus came in uh, grace and truth. His truth sets us free. The enemy is a murderer and is the father of all lies. When he speaks, his language is lies. Evil actively searches for those who are not alert and whose minds and hearts are unguarded. We do not have a spirit of fear. And see, this is a red flag. We don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. So when you're getting fearful, like when that guy said, oh, you're going to speak, I was, I was super fearful. I know right where that comes from, the liar. The enemy uses fear to circumvent the opportunity God puts in our lives. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Failure is life's teacher. When we embrace our failures for what they are, we become teachable. Well, I'm holding that for you, Steve. That's a good one. <laughs> Got it? Got that? Got it, soldier? I know. I'm with you. I just lost my phone. I don't even know where it is. I think Annie stole it from me. Good? And I think that is it. Okay. That wraps up uh, the fear of failure. I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, I know, it, 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 in fact, the other day I was telling somebody that, uh, that I thought, I feel, you know, that process of, you know, uh, you fail, you got the fear of failure, then you do th hard things in life, and then you minimize them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you just keep minimizing anything that you do that's of worth. It's a real, it's just a real chihuahua tail-biting deal until you can embrace the truth. And this is God's truth. You know, when you can embrace it, when you can wear it, and you can walk in it. And then you can be free to do anything that God calls you to, and you're, and you're free to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, which is the abundance, the abundance that Jesus Christ brings into our lives. So, anyway, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, Lord, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you for your truth. It is like a salve on our hearts. Father, uh, um, we do thank you for our free will, but Lord, I know it gets in the way sometimes. And the enemy is constantly, is constantly attacking. And Father, I just ask that, that for each one of us here, that you help us see 
how the enemy lies to us. I feel like sometimes, as, as Melissa said in Bible study, the enemy cheers us, cheers us on, and then at some point hands us uh, the pom-poms, and then we begin to cheer ourselves uh, into, into believing lies about who we are and what we are. Father, I just ask that you help us break those lies. That is bondage. Lord, I ask that you, uh, you help us see the lies, that we can become critically aware of them, and uh, that we could break them and begin to live free, uh, to begin to live free in Christ Jesus, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful weather. We thank you for your mercy and grace. I ask, Lord, that your hand is upon us as we leave out of here today and that, that we just have a great week. And, uh, and, and even if we don't, that we could enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. We praise you, we love you, and we lift this prayer up in Jesus' name. Amen.